0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is now Thursday, August 20th. Excited to keep Analytics Week rolling along, or as we're affectionately calling it, Nerd Week. Joining us now, good friend of the program, uh, the second tallest media member in the NFL circles behind only Pete Prisco.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, I was going to say.
0: <laughs> uh, Steve Palazzolo. What's going on, Steve?
1: I didn't yeah. know you were calling it nerd week. You said it was analytics week. See, you we, don't tell,
0: we don't tell you to get
1: on the, uh, the show that it's nerd week. That's fine. I've been called worse. That works yeah. though. Thank you. Um,
0: what, what is, is senior, I feel like you're like in, I mean, you and Sam to me, and obviously there's a, a lot of people involved with PFF, but like you and Sam feel like the, the faces of PFF to me. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. I think we have been to this point and you know, I just. Senior analyst has been like an all-encompassing role, but I've pretty much Sam and I have both kind of worn every hat here. Hi, buddy. Uh, Steve, father, Ward, Steve, father
0: of four, <laughs> and if you want to see what his uh, fantastic kids look like, very. I'm recording kids. right
1: now. <laughs> That's your birthday present, so just go stare at the box. Um, and look, like
0: <laughs> you got to understand, Steve. This is a kid-friendly podcast, not in the sense that the content is appropriate for children, but as as I was telling
1: you, they're before, in and out.
0: <laughs> I mean, my son pops up here every – Debo, how many times does my does Robbie pop into this podcast? Like once a, once a week? Uh Once a week Maybe for Oreos,
1: now. once a week for iPad.
0: Yeah. So like if, if his mom is out doing – if AK is out doing something, he's coming up here. And I'm like, don't come up here. Do you know, they he can sense up, the it? red
1: light. Like they sense when I mean, it's record yeah. time.
0: I'm, I'm dead serious. He learned – so for a while my wife was working um downtown rally at this museum, and I was – Tinker Robbie full-time and doing my, you know, doing my full-time job. And he figured out at that point that if I did a radio hit, he could yell Oreos as loudly as possible. And I had no <laughs> choice but to turn the Oreos over to him. Wow. Uh, and at 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 7 p.m., didn't matter. If I was doing radio, he's yelling Oreos. And now he oh, well, uh, has a crippling Oreo addiction, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you got to do, man. I mean, I, I think I think it's become endearing, you know, to have –
0: have has, the kids in and, and it, out, you
1: know. It used They're to on be NFL Network all the time and all that stuff, right? I
0: mean, it used to be unprofessional, and now it's like in pandemic. It's like, what a great, parent.
1: yeah, right, you know, what, right?
0: What a what a what a stand-up guy.
1: Well, uh, I took their player, my their playroom used to be my office, and I took it back and made it my office. So it's kind of uh, like it's a shared space.
0: Yeah, when and so I mean, like people can see it. again. You can go to YouTube.com/slash Pick Six and watch this whole episode, and you you have all the the go-to's. Like you had the little. I don't even know what they're called. I think they're, I don't know who makes them, but the chairs with the, the name stitched on the back. Like you're, you have a Harry back there. And I, we have the exact same one with like some white outline that says Robbie. And it's, and you awesome. can tell that your kids like him because they're all bent. Like, like Robbie piles in his and plays Nintendo and you have the little standalone trampoline thing. I mean, it's a, it's a quintessential playroom.
1: I've had six months to fix my, my quarantine background and I still have the same one. So, well, well I mean, we I've
0: I've had this for like three years and. And people are like, "Oh, that's a pretty good quarantine background." I was like, "No, that's just like my professional." <laughs> one. They're like, "Oh, well, that's
1: that's not that's not." Oh, I love here. it. We're all on the same um, here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's talk some. Uh, let's talk some football. So, sort of a, a a general, broad state of analytics in the NFL. You guys at PFF have it. I'm not certainly sort of like going to ask you like name the teams you work with because you wouldn't tell me.
1: But all 32. It's all 32. So are you up to all 32 now? Yeah, we've had them for a couple of years now.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So every, I mean, you've probably told me this in like passing it an NFL event, but so all, it, what is the varying level? Is there like a sliding scale of how involved teams are in, in NFL analytics? Cause it, it does feel like at a certain point within the last five years, I'm guessing every owner or every, you know, went to their GM and said like, Hey, look, uh, you, you know, everybody's in on this PFF thing. So go yeah, like, yeah. go do, you know, and, and I'm guessing that not everybody is as involved as, you know, it's not an equal involvement. Right.
1: It's it's true, right? So um, it's actually one of the more fascinating things that I've seen through the years. Is you So like at the Combine, when we all see each other, that's when we meet with every team. And we have a whole team of guys that are out on the road meeting with these teams all the time. But that's like my opportunity to sit in and like 32 meetings and kind of see. There are some teams that roll in with like 15 people mm-hmm. and they want to know every last thing that we have and what we're doing. And what's the next piece of data that you guys have and how is it being delivered and how can we use it? All that stuff. And then there's another team that might have one guy, and he's like, look, I, I'm trying to make headway with the coaches, and they won't even listen to me. So it, it, is, it is, I think, one of the biggest stories is that some teams, some teams have four meetings with us at the Combine. They're like, I'm going to get the special teams coaches in here. Then we'll have a defensive coaches. Then we'll have the scouts. So it is fascinating to me that every team has different levels of competency and usage and style and all this stuff. It's really 32 differently run organizations. So like when you hear analytics as this broad, broad term, (laughs) it's just used so many different ways across the league.
0: Do you, I I guess this is fine to ask, do you, do you anecdotally, do you see a connection between success on the field and more in-depth analytic usage or does it not really matter?
1: So I think football is such a unique sport because the quarterback is just so important. So it almost it's almost like you can have a bad analytically driven team, but if they have a good quarterback, it's like, all right, you know, they have a good quarterback. It makes up for a whole bunch of other ills. So I think it's hard to you know correlate it directly. But I think it's clear a team like the Ravens last year. I mean, you know, it's it's not even a PFF thing. It's just they do everything. It's not just PFF that's done studies. It's like. The Ravens found an edge in every place where you should have an edge. Okay, right? so like, let me
0: let me ask you this about the Ravens specifically, because uh, even Mitchell Schwartz made sort of mocked me for this suggestion, and like I, I said that if you look at all the running backs that the Ravens acquired, they are all very good at running out of shotgun, and that like I mean like J.K. Dobbins was one of the most efficient shotgun runners. In college football last year, Mark Ingram, if you break it down, was one of the most efficient shotgun runners with the Saints. Gus Edwards was a very efficient shotgun runner. Um, how am I? Justice Hill was one of the most efficient shotgun runners coming out of Oklahoma State. Is that coincidence or that's analytics, right? Is that, am I crazy?
1: That's analytics. If you utilize, maybe, I don't, maybe not. I don't know if that's the reasoning there. The whole thing with the run game and like, you know, we're in football twitter
0: sports me here mr schwartz is right
1: maybe now. a little bit there's the the corner of analytics twitter that says running backs don't matter if i could interpret that because that's not like i don't i hate using that phrase i hate because it just doesn't convey the message it's essentially like okay running backs like the fifth most important thing when it comes to a to the rushing attack i don't have the hard numbers in front of me but i think the difference between under center and shotgun is probably down the list as well okay i think the reason why the ravens have had so much success in part because of lamar jackson But it's the run blocking, it's box count, it's the quality of the defense, and it's the fact that Lamar changes the box count, changes the numbers, and the defensive linemen, you saw this in college a lot early in the zone read era. Defensive linemen are, they don't even try to shed blocks anymore. They're looking for the ball, like, where's the ball? Where's the ball? And you're getting blown off the ball by a double team, you know, because they're running power at you or whatever it is. I think all of that added up has led to Raven success.
0: Uh, Yeah. I I wouldn't saying necessarily that that's why they're successful running out of the shotgun, just that I think they use that analysis of those players skill sets to acquire them where they did because they know that they can more easily fit into the scheme. And Mitchell's point was like, well, he said, these guys do well. What we want to do. That's, he's like, that's not analytics. I was like, well, that is analytics. Like if you identify someone who does something well that you already do and then you fit them into your system – not that, maybe that's, maybe I'm getting too deep into the semantics here. No, I,
1: it, it is, but it's just like, hey, I know my kicker can't kick, uh, you know, beyond 53 yards. My kicker yards. sucks in
0: the wind, so I'm not, you're like,
1: yes. Yeah. Or just saying, like, you can't kick beyond 53, so if it's a 54, I'm going to say no. Like, I'm going to go for it or punt or whatever. I mean, that's like, here's a number, and we know there's numbers on either side of it that make sense and don't make sense. So, yeah, I mean, there's a point. I just don't know how much the Ravens have actually used that specific example, okay. unless you have some inside info. No, no, I, I don't. You keep, I, I keep and, pushing that, I know. I, I, yeah, I do keep pushing that. Um,
0: I, I just stumbled into it. It's like I, I like to push the only little nuggets I have. I guess, but I guess my point of that is that I think you're right. I think the Ravens' entire organization is heavily steeped in analytics and using whatever information they have and uh, all Don't kinds of information they can get in order to gain an edge.
1: Those are your new vitamins. Points. Oh, vitamins. For instance, they're uh, gummy bites. You got to go downstairs though. Tomorrow, later, we'll open them, new vitamins in town. Can you um, shut the door
0: on the way down? Thanks. You're, you're, you're showing a, a tremendous amount of patience, by the way. Like, I'd be like, <laughs> Do the out of here. Uh, what, uh, what, what areas of growth have you seen from teams in terms of usage of analytics over the last year, and what are you sort of expecting in the future? I know that's extremely broad, but I don't know if there's some good examples you might have.
1: Yeah, again, I think everybody cause, you know we live in the social media world. I think everybody, when again, when they use analytics, they they have something in mind. You know, and yeah. a lot of times it's like, well, fourth down decisions—that's analytics, and of course that's—it's all a piece of of a bigger, uh, a bigger puzzle. I think the fourth down decisions you're seeing more of that. There's way more teams plugged in um to that decision making process, and well, fewer I mean, teams going off of field. Remember when
0: Bill Belichick went for it on fourth and two? Pete Prisco calls it no nine. Fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nine. He goes at fourth and jackass. Remember when I made that great thing? It's like, Pete, that wasn't funny then. It's not funny now. Stop saying it. (laughs) Um, but like when he did that, it was a huge thing and people freaked out for weeks about it. Now it would be like, oh, you know, he went for it, didn't get it. What are you going to do? I mean, it's, it's, it's become very commonplace
1: before I, I'm not, I'm not like the numbers nerd at PFF. Right. But you know, there's, there's people that are smarter than me from a number standpoint. And then when, but I think, even just like that, that play back in 2009, intuitively just made sense to me. It was like, okay, it's fourth and two. You literally have one play, two yards away from winning the game. The game's over if you hit this one play versus you don't get it. And then a whole bunch of other stuff has to happen. Granted, it's Peyton Manning and whatever, but like a whole bunch of other stuff has to happen for you to lose. It just made a lot of sense to me. And I think, so I think the change is like coaches always thinking about the worst case scenario, right? It's like, if I don't get it, or if I don't make this fourth and three, then what happens? Instead of saying, when I make this fourth and three, yeah. here's how it changes things, right? And your Pete is always like, gotta kick it. Gotta I mean, he is not, he cannot type take it in point. fast enough. Yeah. Always take the points, right, Pete? But like that mentality, and I'm not saying Pete's always wrong. He's probably wrong like 80% of the time when he says that. <laughs> clip that, even. But, but that mentality is. Take the points because you know you're going to get the three, but you're not even thinking about, OK, if you don't get it and you come away with zero points, the other team has to drive 93 yards or whatever it might be. And the chances are that you're going to stop them somewhere along the line and you're going to be back in field goal range pretty quickly. Like So it's it's, it's taking this like a long term approach to the game rather than this, like right in the moment, take that three points because it feels good it's taken like a longer approach and letting the numbers kind of dictate things.
0: And for years, and it's still true even now because people like Pete are going to do it. If a coach takes three points and gets the field goal, no one's going to blame him. If you go for it and miss it, you're going to get yelled at. And there's going to be some, like some decent praise for being a little aggressive and ballsy. If you go for it and get the time, you know? So it's like, coaches are just inherently conservative and they don't want to get fired and people get fired right. very quickly. And without, you know, I mean, it, it, you, you know, there's not much time in the NFL. So going for it is obviously just, it's, it's not a greater risk, but like the downside is that, you know, a bunch of media members are going to write stories that call you an idiot for not taking the points.
1: Yeah. I I, I think I, I had a joke tweet a couple of years ago where I was like, you know, some coach is going to get up there sometime and just like, Speak analytically, but like in common sense. Like, of course, I went forward on fourth down. My win probability went up, and of course, I, you know, passed the ball 26 times to start the game because it's more efficient for winning. The, like, somebody's going to get up there and do that at some point, and those are like easy answers, right? It's not it, it, going by the book. I don't think is safer because if you're using win probability, right, then it's actually not safer, right? Like right. Pete Carroll had that last year. Like, oh, we're going to take the safe field goal. It's like how is it safe kicking a 50 yard field goal instead of trusting Russell Wilson to pass for one yard, right? Like how is right. that even safer? Um, because all the numbers say it's not, you know? So I think, I think that stuff will switch a little bit. It's just, it, it's a change in, in mentality. And it's a, it's just, it's fascinating to me when I talk to coaches about like what goes through their head in there that pushes them to suboptimal decisions. Like I have to call a run every now and again, because my linemen like to hit people. It's like, you don't have to have linemen hit people. You could just teach them at the beginning of the camp. We're here to win games. And if we don't call a run play, like we're not going to call a run play. Sorry. You know, wait, would you, it's wait, like would, you to would you never run? Would you? No. Th- uh, it's not never like, run. Like if, you shouldn't run just to run. No. And, and coaches actually do that. I thought Joe Thomas did a great job of, of explaining that on Twitter one time. He was like, a lot of coaches call plays from columns and it's like, here's this pass column, here's this run column. And it's like pass, pass, pass. Uh oh, I haven't called a run in a while. Let's call a run. And he said, Kyle Shanahan is more like a story. And it's like, I'm going to call this run. That's going to set up this pass. That's going to set up this end around. That's going to send up this end around play action. And it all like meshes. Like that makes sense to me from yeah. a play call standpoint. And I've actually talked to coaches who, again, say like, I haven't called a run in a while. Got to call a run. Um, I, I think numbers wise, it would tell you spread to run. Run when the box count tells you to. And, and run more in third and one, third and two, third and three. And fourth and one, fourth and two, right? So the times when it almost feels like it's third down, I have to pass because if I get, you know, it just, you would actually run more often. And if you're going to run, don't necessarily bring 17 tight ends in there. Like Stanford does, <laughs> right. you know, spread well, it out. That's and, exactly and, what
0: Aaron shot said on Monday show was that yeah. the, the, and I, I mean, I agree. Like the move is to make it look like you're going to pass and then run, yeah, right. Or make it look like you're going to run and then pass. And those things are more efficient because they're not easily diagnosed. And, there's sort of like a coin flip roulette fallacy too, to the idea that it's like, well, I've passed seven times in a row. I have to run. Like like, if anything passing again, is going to seem less likely to your other, like the other coach. Like if you keep passing, they're going to be like, well,
1: surely he's got to run at some point. I would say, and here's one of the best explanations, I think from, you know, Zach Robinson, who used to work for us, you know, played NFL, played NFL quarterback. He was a backup everywhere, but. You know, he was like, sometimes the quarterback needs just a mental break. And especially if, like, if you're not Tom Brady, you probably, I understand the point of, like, I don't want to take any quarterback and put 50 decisions on his plate in a game and go and say, we're going to throw 50 times with you, Josh Allen or Mitch Trubisky or whichever guy we're trashing lately. Like, with Brady, it's okay. You could do that. You put everything on his plate. You trust him to make 50 good decisions or at least 49 out of 50 in a given game. So that part, like, I get that too. But at the same time, when you have – an, an average quarterback or a lesser quarterback, you actually want to pass on early downs in times that are more favorable. You can't just go run, run, third and nine, go get him, subpar quarterback. He's that's be, getting, not doing him a he's same be
0: getting teed off on on third and nine, whereas in yeah. first and ten, he's probably seeing some some run, you know, some run defense. And right. And by the way, it's not like Tom Brady threw the ball fifty times a game for the first five years of his career. I mean, like he had to get to a point where he was, you know, mastered the right. offense and before he was really doing that. Uh, you mentioned Josh Allen. So let's, uh, let's let's talk about Josh Allen. Where um, was I mean? I, I'm, like, uh, analytically speaking, nobody like I mean it, it was pretty clear like who liked Josh Allen and who didn't. And I, I we're not I don't want to invoke Pete Prisco forty two times on this podcast, but like Pete is the one of the biggest Josh Allen like table bangers on the planet. He's like he's an alpha male. He it's like it's like okay that's that's Sounds the right. thing like okay. Okay. He's an out. He's like, he's a dog. He's a leader. It's like, well, that's, that is a thing. That's great. I don't know that that is going to make him successful guaranteed in the NFL. And then from, you know, I think a lot of people, and we do like to make fun of Josh Allen and you're right, which we're probably a bit over the top of it, but you look at the analytics from it and you're like, I mean, I don't know how this guy is going to translate to the NFL. Has your opinion of him from coming out of college changed at all? Where, where do you stand on Josh Allen and, and the bills this year? And, what they're sort of ceiling and floor is probably because of him.
1: So I, I think so much of quarterback analysis, again, because of social media, because of the way everything is in the world and politics and everything's one or the other, right? Yeah. I think most of the quarterbacks in today's NFL all land in the middle. Josh Allen's the bottom half of the middle, but I think almost every quarterback lands in the middle and those middle tier of quarterbacks, like quarterbacks eight through 25 could all have good seasons right I mean this yeah. is it but and at the end of the season if Josh Allen has a good one your boy Pete's gonna. oh look at this Josh Allen he's taking a big step forward in year three when like the reality is he has Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley and John Brown he's got this incredible group of receivers he's got a good group of running backs he can run the ball a little bit and I think the bills are set up for at least statistical success for Josh Allen even if he doesn't take a step forward as a quarterback so I think that's where I land, like he's graded poorly for us the last couple of years. That doesn't project well for him going forward. It's very similar to Trubisky the Mm -hmm. last couple of years. There's very similar vibes, like defense centric team buys into their quarterback and all that stuff. But I'd say the difference is Allen is now, his situation has continued to get better since he's entered the league. And you compare him to what Sam Darnold has had to deal with, what Josh Rosen has had to deal with, of course, not even playing, but like it's just night and day. So I, I think Allen cannot even get that much better this year and improve a lot statistically because of the supporting cast. And I think that's the story for a lot of NFL quarterbacks because it's a, it's just, it's easier to pass these days. And it's, I always point to the Andy Dalton 2015 season where it was AJ green, Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu and awesome Tyler Eifert. Right. And it's like a
0: very good offensive
1: line and a good offensive line and a quick release from Dalton. Like you add that all up, you can have a good season. I think there are, 15 to 20 quarterbacks in the NFL where like, that's true. And Alan's, and here's the thing I always say about Alan. I don't, I think he has one of those years in him where it's like 58% completions and he has like 28 touchdowns through the air and another eight on the ground. And it's actually not him playing all that well, but it's like, Hey, at the end of the year, he, he accounted for a lot of touchdowns. He's an MVP candidate. Like, I don't know if it's this year, but I think Alan has that in him, even if he's not better, so to speak.
0: So that year you're talking about, I mean, so, so you're talking about like a 58, 58- 59% completion, 4,500 yards, 35 touchdowns, maybe 18 interceptions or something like that. Yeah. AKA yeah.
1: Blake Bortles, 2015 season. Is there you a, go. I mean, but not all in garbage time, like Bortles right, 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 in 2015, right. but not I mean, all in garbage time.
0: Well, and the thing about Allen is he's, he's very vexing because I don't want to be, I don't want to be wrong on him and, like I, I'm not afraid to take a stand one way or the other. I just think that he does have a lot of talent and like you, like you're saying, you could see it all kind of click, but I don't know that he's going to magically mature into the third year into this unbelievable, unstoppable NFL passer. I think that's the problem. Like the Bills can win right. 13 games because their defense is the best in football and Sean McDermott's a great coach and they added a ton of weapons and have built this offensive line around him. But I think you're right. You could take Allen out of that. So like, what is the you know? It's like a, it's like war or like, is it war? Yeah. It's war in baseball, yeah, yeah. Like wins above replacement, like. And you guys, did you guys did a war stack Because Sam and I probably have about war, last yeah. Last year on the, so what? Where does Josh Allen rank out in war?
1: I mean, it's all based. It's it's essentially based off our grading and some level of volume. Him, mean, he was near the bottom last year. Right. Um, Do I
0: mean, the, I, let me ask you this: Do the Bills win less games in twenty twenty if Mitchell Trubisky is their quarterback instead of uh, instead of Josh Allen?
1: I think I have a little more faith in Allen at this point right now, but it's close. I mean, if you look at the stuff and and one, one of the things analytics pot here, one of the things we look at, like what stuff's stable, what stuff's unstable, like what stuff can you count on year to year? Josh Allen and Mitchell Trubisky, but one of the most stable numbers for us is just our, in our play-by-play grading, it's negatively graded throws. Mm. And they're both among the highest in the NFL. As far as negatives, the thing that fluctuates more is positives. And this makes, this is like intuitive football wise you get more positive with grades if you have more open receivers beyond the sticks and you have a better supporting cast. So it actually makes sense intuitively that like the quarterback controls their negatives. Like you're, if you're inaccurate, you're going to be inaccurate. If you're going to okay. miss throws, you're going to miss throws, but you can scheme up the positives. And yeah. that's where I think Allen can have a big year because the po- there should be more opportunities because of the supporting cast.
0: Okay. No, that's, that's kind of, and that, that I think is important too when you, cause football is so, so many moving parts. Right. That, that, that factor into what a quarterback can do. Like the, I mean, like Andy Dalton, until about 2015, everything breaks right. And then 2016, everything breaks right. I mean, you know, like your offensive, Whitworth's gone, you know, AJ Green's hurt, whatever it is, like these things happen and it, it drastically impacts the quarterback, even though it's out of his hands. Are there any other stabilizing factors like negative, like negatively graded throws that you guys look at for quarterbacks or, or any other position, I guess?
1: Yeah. I'm creating a whole product for teams that, you know, because, oh, you know, cool. teams have, they have our database, but I'm helping to surface like the most important stuff from a player evaluation standpoint. I think sure. that's kind of a next frontier that teams could get better at. And it's from our grading standpoint, it's just throwing from a clean pocket. It's throwing, it's all the stuff that a quarterback does most clean pockets happen 60, 65% of the time. And if you throw from a
0: clean pocket, you're toast, right? I mean, that's, I mean,
1: yeah, like, cause you know, and scouts are always like, let me see this guy under pressure. And it's like, yes, those plays are good. And generally the better quarterbacks make more plays under pressure. But the best quarterbacks, Brady, Breeze, Rogers, man, they all just, they hit open receivers from a clean pocket and they do it at a high level. So you start with that and then you work to the other stuff. So it's all the things that quarterbacks do the most. It's actually first and second down being more stable than third down. You know, it's things that are counterintuitive to football, but it's just like, what do you see most of and how good is a guy at that thing?
0: Okay. I I like it. That's, that's, I think that's important to know because it's easy to find that stuff. And for uh, people,
1: how high did you? pitch at what level triple a triple a i, AAA. AAA. I sat you, in the major league bullpen twice in spring training
0: for wait, who were you with in, in major leagues
1: giants giants brewers and mariners
0: man so wait where did you where did you play triple a then uh
1: i was i was with the giants in fresno and i oh, was with cool. the mariners in tacoma
0: oh those are fun spots AAA.
1: yeah it was good yeah about a year uh, and a half they're contracting minor league baseball why are they doing that baseball so sad I never would have had a shot. I I was undrafted. I came out of independent ball. Like I never would have had a shot. Right.
0: And they're all doing it for like greed. I mean, what are you, what are you doing? Like what do you, you they want, they want college baseball to become like college football. Like what, what, it's not happening guys. Like you're already, your union like jammed you in the seventies. It's over. Like just pay for the minor leagues
1: already. You're all rich. There's six levels of minor league baseball. And honestly, so many prospects like need not that they don't have to hit every six, but they need to at least hit three or four. And it really does get more difficult along the way. It's just such a unique sport compared to football where like everybody goes from college right to the NFL. Like you don't see that as much in baseball. Yeah. And I think like there's an ugly brand of baseball being played when too many young guys are out there.
0: Who uh, I don't know why I'm turning this into a, it's like, what are you doing? You just... I'm just
1: multifaceted over here.
0: Well, what, who is the best minor league player that you ever played with?
1: Uh Buster Posey, Madison oh, Garner. Yeah. Buster was Ball. my catcher in triple A. Was May. he really? Yeah. That's pretty so good. I always joke. I, um, I threw like 16 straight scoreless innings or something with Posey back there in triple a. And then they now, put it back a... up in right in the middle. And I gave up like five and I'm like, ah, you know, it's just me and Buster had a good rapport. I was as yet, like the so middle like, reliever. When, when
0: yeah. Posey got called up, you're like, you know, I should really go with, with, right. Me.
1: Like me and him. it's just, you know, 16 yeah. straight scoreless in case you don't know, ignore who's my taller, five ERA here in triple a. Who's
0: taller. You were Bumgarner.
1: Oh, definitely me. He's not that big.
0: He's not that tall. He's, I thought he was he's like, six, he's from, you know, he's from Hickory, North Carolina.
1: Yes. Yeah, yes. Mattisberg. He was I was there for his first day of professional baseball. We were in instructional league in 2007. He was there was a rumor going around that he was like ready to go home. Like he was Yeah. He, he was 10th t- yeah. overall pick and he was like how much money do I have to give back to just go back to Hickory, you <laughs> know, to yeah. go back home.
0: I mean, he like lives on a farm, he lives on a cow farm in Hickory yeah. in the offseason, I think. Oh, that's
1: right. And he was, and then when he was like the, the fake, you know, rodeo dude, I mean, like, not surprised or, Have you guy. heard
0: the Vin Scully story where he like, Vin tells it, he's, you know, he's, that, like, so he's like, and then Madison ran into a rattlesnake in the desert <laughs> and stabbed it with a cowboy boot. And the,
1: the, not surprised. Know,
0: first and third. <laughs> no, matter, just right back into it.
1: Vin um, is the best. Vin's the best. I love yeah, it. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he really is. He do a whole <laughs> uh, baseball podcast.
0: I know. Well, we we do tangents on this podcast. This is just sort of how it works. Perfect. Uh, all right, let's take a break. When we come back, we will uh, tell you whether or not Sean McVay can fix the Rams' offense next year. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase clutch athletics at newbalance.com. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road with available H track all wheel drive and three row seating. My whole family can head deep into the wild, conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So the Rams, the Rams are probably getting a bad rap because they won, they won nine games. It would have been in the playoffs with the new system, but people are sort of treating them like they're the worst team in the NFC West. Uh, I, I'm not sure where you fall on that, but I am curious what you think caused the offensive drop off. For Los Angeles last year, was it Jared Goff taking a step back? Was it Todd Gurley being forced on the field? Or was it just a lack of offensive line? Or was it maybe something with the scheme?
1: It was the O-line. And I do think that the scheme has struggled to adjust. We saw that late in 2018. The Bears, the Patriots, the Lions, all these teams played a little more quarters. They played that 6-1 front and all these different things that just kind of thwarted the, the Rams' attack. I don't think they've adjusted that well. But all that said, like the offensive line ranked 31st in our final rankings last year after being top 10. I mean, there were some bad offensive lines last year and we ranked them lower than the Chargers, than the Bengals, than like everybody but the Dolphins. And it just didn't make any sense. Andrew Whitworth is still good at left tackle, but like Rob Havenstein went from one of the better right tackles in the league to one of the worst. The entire interior was a mess. Like it, it really started there. And again, when I talk about the quarterbacks who just you give them the ecosystem, you give them the supporting cast, they'll be fine. Like Jared Goff epitomizes that, right? Like all these, like all these Her cousins three, too. Cousins like, epitomizes that. I mean, honestly, all, I, I mean, all these Derek Carr. Yeah. I think Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott still are in that boat. I mean, if you look at okay. like the last decade of NFL football, there's a pretty clear top eight to ten quarterbacks. You've got your your top elites, and then like the tier twos, like Big Ben, and I think Russell Wilson until recently. I think Andrew Luck, Philip Rivers, but like. It's fair to say that Dak and Wentz and Goff and all these guys are in that next tier, you know, and just they need things to be good around them and their careers have fluctuated based off what's happened. And I think that's where Goff is and where the Rams are. They do need to figure something out schematically because I don't think uh, McVeigh, not Todd McShay, I don't think McVeigh has adjusted quickly enough to things that are like right in front of his face, which is just having some two high beaters and, and various things like that.
0: Well, and it felt like he tried to do this thing with the tight ends where he wanted to have more 12 personnel out there with Everett and, uh and uh how am I forgetting his name? Higby. Tom, uh, Higby yeah. Tom yeah Higby. Yep. But then it also kind of hurt them because they were taking Cooper cup off the field and they right. didn't, and, and it didn't ultimately matter quite as much because the run game wasn't going and it was, predicated on play action and everybody had seen what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl. And sort of, I mean, it just right. felt like he got thwarted in one in 60 minutes. Bill, 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 like Bill Belichick oh, just completely derailed that offense. Uh, and can he get it back? Or is it just as simple as the offensive line has to be better?
1: I, I think there's both. I mean, the offensive line has to get it back and McVeigh needs to show that he can adjust a little bit more. The Belichick thing was fascinating because McVay was essentially like, I can't believe they played quarters. And it was like, I remember previewing the game thinking like, this offense completely changed in week 14 when the Bears played like this and then the Lions played like this and the Lions have Matt Patricia. Yep. And the Patriots have Bill Belichick. Like obviously they're going to talk, right? I mean it wasn't I wasn't surprised Apparently, by the Super Bowl he's game. Watch the damn game. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I mean and Belichick is not shy of, you know, doing something different, right? And to be honest, the Patriots didn't even do it that well. The Rams just didn't have answers. Like, the Patriots don't play quarters, and they busted coverage twice, and Goff was too slow to get there, and it was partially Goff, and it's partially the scheme. All that said, like, McVay's got some work to do, I think, to adjust to that. Like, he's got this perfect offense that beats cover three, that beats cover one, that beats Seattle scheme and the Niners scheme and all that stuff. Um, and I, I also think that they let teams dictate the action too much to them. Like, they had the Niners game down the stretch last year. It was, I think it was the Saturday game. It was all bootlegs and screens. And I was like, they didn't have, they, it was like, they were so afraid of the Niners defensive line that they they were like, we have to move, we have to move the pocket, we got to run screens. And it was fine, but it's like, you're letting teams dictate the action instead of you dictating to them. And I think that's and, what needs to change.
0: And, and, and everybody on, like, you could even, like half of Twitter was like, all they're doing is doing screens and bootlegs. <laughs> the right. only answer they have, like Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala are going to figure that like, they're right. not going to not adjust to it. You know, at some point you just sort of, you know, you flare It was just fascinating. End. It was fascinating yeah. to me. Um. Okay. That's. It also
1: shows, by the way, like, you go from genius to, like, oh, can't figure out the NFL. Again, in our Twitter world, it's like, well, let's not label everybody a genius overnight. I'm guilty as charged as well. Like, part of being a genius.
0: The Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsbury and wrote Friend of Sean McVay's. Uh, And I'm not (laughs) suggesting that Cliff Kingsbury doesn't know what he's doing, but, like, that's how peak – I mean, McVeigh yeah. stuff was like. I mean, he had, it was just you had to hire. It was a sort of like the analytics thing we talk about, like teams. It's like go hire somebody who worked with Sean McVeigh. I don't care if it's like white, like if he's like like his get back guy. Go get it.
1: I mean, you yeah, know, I like, talked to him out at dinner at the combine. I threw it on my resume too. I like, hey, yeah, talked to Sean, yeah. right? You know, I yeah. talked to Sean at the combine. So
0: we have a guy. We had a guy named Bleep on our podcast. Um, I, we're not saying I, Sean Wagner McGuff's name. It's, sorry, that's a bit. <laughs> um. Okay, so. Well, we mentioned the 49ers and we talk about tight ends too with the, I'm curious what you think about from a value perspective, how tight ends rate out because we, we, we did these podcasts talking about Kittle's contract and Kelsey's contract and in you know, sort of just the analysis of it. Looking at it, it's like, man, like, you know, they, Kittle broke the market, but I mean, he makes like Jarvis Landry money. Should, should he be, should, should elite tight ends, guys who can impact the game as blockers, in the run game, and as great receivers in the pass game. Are these $20 million guys? I mean, are they being shorted in the market, do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't have – I don't know what the numbers say specifically. I My, my intuition, though, is if, if you have a Kittle or a Kelsey or a Gronk, like, pay those dudes. Like, if, if they're making the same amount as Jarvis Landry, as you said, no knock on Jarvis Landry. Everybody likes to knock Jarvis, but
0: yeah, – he's, he's another guy we pick on yeah i guess I it's fair. Why. There
1: was some, there is there are some games that he looks bad and other games he well,
0: played, and like I in miami know. he would he was like he was like setting records for catches
1: and he, he wasn't going he, anywhere and everything yeah. but, but nobody
0: he was like when he had like 125 catches and
1: 895 yards it's like, right it's the point It was like, pretty like, hilarious yeah scheme well. though that's scheme too i mean I, I i think the elite tight end makes a huge difference i had to, i ranked i ranked all the nfl tight ends a few weeks ago and it was painful i mean you're the panthers man like some of the tight end duos that are being trotted out there in the NFL today are painful. Like the, the Patriots had four tight ends running like five fours last year. Like it was, yeah. it's just ugly. And if you have that special one, it's an, to me, it's an absolute game changer. I mean, it, when you throw to tight ends, it's more efficient. When you have a Kelsey that can, pl- he's a wide receiver. That's a mismatch weapon. When you have a Kittle, that's a mismatch weapon because of the run pass ability. I mean, I think those guys, the high end guys are no brainers. You know, I think overpaying like Austin Hooper might be a bit of a mistake. I think he's more of a steam driven type of yeah. production guy, but I think the high end guys pay that. I'd pay him.
0: All right. So, hey, uh, by the way, over the cap, get your stuff together. Update Kittle's numbers in your contract. What do you do? I mean, what am I supposed to do this myself?
1: Where's Jason? Let me text Jason real quick. I no, no, don't. He's got, got to get him on there.
0: Kelsey's numbers aren't even updated. What are we doing here? What do, how am I? How am I supposed to do my lazy single-click analysis of contractual deals if I don't have? Uh... I need
1: this too. Jason has a day job, unfortunately. So,
0: what is I, I'm assuming he's like an accountant or something,
1: right? Something like that. Yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, I mean it care. has to be with numbers. I mean,
1: he's like a he's like a poet. He's in the finance somewhere. Yeah,
0: I would. I would. I would assume. Or yeah, or like a yeah, like a finance guy, right? You don't yeah, run. Yeah. You don't run this for fun if you're not. You don't run an NFL finance site for fun unless you're also in yeah. uh, finance. So, but Landry's at 15.1 million. Thielen's at 16.2. Devontae Adams underpaid at 14.5. Stephon Diggs 14.4. Allen Robinson 14. Ty Hilton 13. I mean, Brandon Cooks is 16.2, and then above him are Evans, Odell, Tyreek, AJ Green, Thomas, Cooper, and Jones. Like Julio. So, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not saying that. George Kittle is as valuable as Julio Jones. But I think for the 49ers, and I think this is why they didn't flinch at paying him, like shattering the market for tight ends. He's one of the reasons that Kyle Shanahan can do what Kyle Shanahan does when you talk about building the story and execute, you know, you have the, you know, you can do a run to the left that then sets up a play action bootleg to the right where Kittle leaks out. And all of a sudden he's just running like a, like a freaking, uh, Buffalo in the open field, you know
1: i I agree i mean i i look at I look at offenses and it 's just like I think it 's easier than ever to to pass the ball, but you have to attack with three and four and five playmakers i mean I yeah. think you just get as many unique covers to people that are difficult to cover as possible, right whether it 's a tight end or a slot receiver or a contested catch guy, whatever it might be, so if you have a guy that 's a receiving weapon, no matter what it is, I think they 're all of somewhat, you know, equal value in the range and you just lock them up and make life difficult on defenses. That's how you do it.
0: Yeah. And I agree with you. Uh, the, the Raiders tried to do it this off season, I guess. I mean, they wanted to add playmakers cause they need some freaking, uh, they need some guys to catch for, for Derek Carr. And they went out and this it's, so this is a I I have like, I, I don't know if I have a beef with the Carr family. Like, I don't know if they, I don't know if it's like a, like they know it's a beef or I really care about it, but I
1: mean, you so warned they, me. You warned me about the cars a couple of years. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, I told you they'll block you. I got blocked. Are you I blocked was, by all of them? I, I think Darren does. Darren run all the accounts. Is th- that
0: I think, what it is? I think he does. He has to. He definitely. He at very least has like tweet deck columns open with like, yeah, like yeah, a yeah, search yeah. for Derek Carr. And- Can I tell
1: that story quickly? What happened? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I so one of my things I try to do at PFF cause people don't always understand everything we do. Like how did this grade come about? Whatever. Like I try to explain to people and say, right. here's why this guy graded well or graded poorly. Like here are the hidden things that you haven't seen. And Derek Carr's in the middle of like a 10 game hasn't been intercepted streak. Right. And I was, do- and so I put three plays out there that were trying to show like, Hey, everybody's talking about hasn't thrown a pick and 300 passes. But like for us, He's had three, like, of our worst graded passes, minus twos that all got dropped. Like, I'm talking, like, right at a linebacker dropped, right at a safety drop during this streak. And it's like, who cares about the streak? Like, he's, he's throwing the ball right to the linebacker. He's getting lucky. So I just put the three passes out there and I'm like, Hey, this is what we do at PFF and all that stuff. And in fact, I, I got I DM'd you after you put yeah. like, it up. Guaranteed. So watch out. Block. Yeah. <laughs> then he spongebobbed me. He did spongebob text at me. Wait, about what? like what do you mean like oh no, like no, the SpongeBob like. text <laughs> the he's upper the lower case nonsense yeah. yeah 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 so he SpongeBob texts me and I get Raiders fans attacking me left and right I'm like I'm not even talking I'm not even this isn't even Derek Carr analysis it's like hey we're smarter than you at PFF here's how we do things and i Trying but, to like this trying is to
0: interception analysis. It's yes. not it's not it's not at Derek
1: Carr. They're, it's not directly at him. But yeah, Darren comes in and Raiders fans attacked me. Before you know it, Derek Carr is blocking me and all. It's it's like a Sunday morning. Like obviously he's not on Twitter, like, well, let me block this Pelazzolo guy. At, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's like you think so, you
0: think Derek Carr. So I had so I ran actually a Panthers blog back in like the early two thousands. Um and I'm not I'm wearing a Panthers shirt right now. It's it's I'm not a Panthers fan, but yeah, at the time at the time I I, I really just don't care yeah. anymore. Like whatever, if they're good, they're good. But at the yeah. time I was a, a Panthers fan and like blog single team blogs weren't even a thing. So I was right. like, I'm going to start a Panthers blog and <laughs> I'm a I'm a weirdo. But like there David Carr had taken over for an injured Jake Delome, who I think blew out his arm. I can't hear or, no no that was him blowing out his arm. But Jake Delone gets hurt. And they that's the season they trotted out Vinny Testaverde, and david carr and carr shows up and he's wearing these little white gloves these like little mittens and so i i dedicated the whole blog to david carr it was mr and like a picture of him with like these little white gloves i'm assuming he a bit like got around to seeing it at some point and then just not for no particular reason whatsoever Like he was terrible the team was awful yeah no reason whatsoever like I also just, I, I don't get, I'm not down with Derek Carr. I don't think, I didn't like him coming out of the draft. Um, and I feel like he's sort of, he, he's like a, you know, he's like a cousins or, you know, whoever else. Like you need everything around him to go right and he doesn't take chances down the field and his That's little off, thing. his little preseason is so always like, nobody believes in me. It's like, dude, like you're getting paid 20 million bucks a year. Like John Gruden's not cutting you. It's like, somebody believes in you. So settle down. Um, but they like Derek Carr, I, I know he did through that. He turfed that ball on the fourth and fifteen. Yes. Screenplay last year. Right. And me that, I was like, "Ew!" Like, you know, you gotta give it a chance. And like, Derek Carr, like, is tagging like CBS or David Carr's tagging quote tweeting and tagging CBS Sports and be like, "This guy doesn't know what he's talking about." Like, he thinks it's a you know, there's nobody open. It's a screen. I was like, I was like, I don't care. I don't care if every dude is lying down holding his hamstring. Like it's fourth, it's fourth down, feet. do something. Like, dude, throw it in the air. I mean, do something. And and that's sort of – I think that's where the beef is circulating. I'm, I'm blocked by them all. I, I guess this is a circuitous way of saying, do you believe that the Raiders will be good? And that – do you think the addition – like I don't get the addition of Henry Ruggs unless they're just going to yeah. maximize him around the line of scrimmage and hope and let him take it deep. Maybe that works. They, they don't have a quarterback to stretch the field, so – what, what does Ruggs
1: do for you? So, yeah, I'm all over the place with Carr. There was a point in fifty like in 2015 and 16, he looked like the next top 10 quarterback. You know, throw, right. this, throw this out there, the top 10, whatever that is, right? He looked like that next guy, and I thought him and Amari Cooper had this really good rapport and that, you know, he could throw a t- – like Carr can make every throw, and I know that's yes. generic scout speak, but he literally can throw the ball down the field extremely well. Like when Alex Smith – was super conservative. You were like, do you really want Alex Smith throwing the ball down the field? And actually he proved that he could do it too when he, you know, unleashed in 2017. It's more
0: mental than physical. It's yeah. not physical.
1: It's a mental thing. And, and, and here's the comparison I'll make with Carr, right? Matthew Stafford, the last, before last season was right in Carr's territory as far as like low average depth of target, like, Derek Carr had the lowest average depth of target in the league last year. Stafford had been bottom five for a couple of years. Stafford has a cannon. Like you want him unleashed last year. Stafford increased his average depth of target by four yards per attempt. Like he went from six and a half to like 10 and a half, which is absurd. Yeah. And he was incredible. And until he got hurt Carr isn't he's not Stafford's arm talent, but like he has that in him. Like if Carr just decided to be aggressive, and, and I guess my issue is, is like, you're down 26 to three against the jets and you're still, Checking down. It's the situational awareness. It's that, um, you know, Brady gets oh, dink and dunk Brady. You know, people say that about him, but like Brady, when he needs to throw the ball down the field, does it, and he knows yeah. how to adjust to the game situation, and he's good at it. Like Peyton, always like the best quarterbacks have that car. Um, uh, and Sam watson always makes this point for us on our podcast, like Car and Cousins. You just you've already lumped them together. They're missing something from like an instincts point of view. Yes, and that leads to fourth down throwaways. And Kirk Cousins taking a knee. When he was supposed to spike it, and he pressed the wrong button and Madden, right? Like those <laughs> things seem to happen with those guys a little bit more. Carr had that terrible pick with no pressure, where he just panicked and threw it up a couple of years right. ago against the Rams. Like far too many of those. But that
0: like was long awful too. It's awful. It, it makes it you terrible. Out on a quarterback too when he do that. Like it's like I wrong see-
1: button madden plays. I think right. we'll say that like Carr and Cousins That's like a- they have those. But Carr has the ability to go down the field and maybe having a rugs. To stretch the field it's just to kind of like induce him to do that a little bit more i did think cd lamb would have been the guy though like cd lamb yeah. felt like the guy that they he could go on the outside they can work the back shoulder game car has great touch Jack, he's a would have monster
0: been, like yeah. the open field and he's taken off I, I was surprised they didn't go with cd lamb there
1: but on like, all, if all car does is just like stop checking down and just attack down the field like he's capable and he's capable of putting it together a big year my concern is the rest of the playmakers with the raiders just having rugs doesn't completely change the mix over there. There's still, like, a bottom 8 to 10 group of playmakers, you know?
0: Do, do you think there's a chance that, like, Carr and – like, I could definitely see this being the case with Carr, and I, I don't want to belabor beating up on Carr. Like, we're going to get a bunch of reviews yeah. on the, on the, on the, on the I, I, Apple Podcasts. He's podcast. a Tier
1: 3 – for me, he's a Tier 3 quarterback. Yeah. The same as Cam, I think, the same as Matthew Stafford, the same as a whole bunch of other guys. Are you putting him in dependent... I think Stafford's What's Tier that? 2. I think Stafford's Tier 2. two. Uh, tier 2, for me, is, is, is high. I mean, okay. I just think – it, it's like a high. So, it's tier a high one box. is like Mahomes and right okay. now, for, for right now, the way I did it's it was Mahomes? Just Mahomes and Wilson. But I think okay. you know the last ten years, it's Brady, Breeze, Rogers, and Peyton You know, like were the guys that were there. And I think tier two has been Rivers for the most part, Big Ben, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Matt Ryan. I think all those guys have been okay. in that group. in the next tiers. So you Cam got Stafford and, like
0: at the top of like tier three. And-
1: yeah. yeah, Stafford okay. and Cam were close to the top of tier three. I think. Okay. Right.
0: Well, I wonder, but I wonder with Carr if it's like almost, if I throw these picks, if I take these chances down the field, my picks and my interceptions are going to go up and I'll be criticized. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like him and cousins think like they, they we can't, can't have turn, can't have interceptions. People, it's like yeah. nobody cares about their deep interceptions anymore.
1: Like I, mean, like, I mean, maybe they do, but in our, like on our world do, but coaches do in our world, they don't, but it coaches do. But like if you're smart it's like the risk reward. Like this is how Baylor plays football or played football it in college. It's like, I'm just going to chuck it deep four times. And if you go one for four, like you gained 40 yards, you know what I mean? Like just be more aggressive and right. good things will happen over time. Even if it looks ugly.
0: Right. Because if you, and if, if you gain 40, play, if you gain 40 yards on four attempts, that's you're good. Ten yards per play. Yes. Like, yeah, right. yeah. Um, okay. So what else did I, I miss? Oh, I know what it was. Um, you you also do a ton of draft. You do a ton of draft
1: work, right? Yeah. yeah. I've passed off some of it, but still. Oh, and you know
0: what? I'm terrible. I'm going to, I will record something. I forgot to promote your, you guys oh, right now. To... You can get a discount at PFF. If you don't have PFF, what the hell are you doing? If you like football, um, that what, what is, is it, I think is the code college, you get 25% off the, draft we got up?
1: CFB, CFB 25. Okay. We've unleashed our college grades for the first time ever. Oh, cool. So all of our college grading, which has been under wraps for the last six years is actually. Unleashed. You can have that. See have you seen
0: a big flood of people coming to check it out? I assume so.
1: Yeah, we have. I mean it's obviously it's pandemic time, so I think all all you know purchases football. are down in general. But yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean all, all I think it'll be cranked back up there. We'll see what happens to college football.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, I think so. But it's, it's exciting.
0: Yeah. People can get, I mean, take out Elite Edge, whatever level you, PFF you want to do. I mean, you recommend it. You guys have the green line stuff where you can, uh, what's, what's, what's better, the green line for college or the green line for the pros?
1: If it I has think I, college, right? I think our college stuff because nobody has the database that we have for that. I think there's a lot of NFL people doing picks and all that stuff. And like, we're yeah. a good range there, but like college is kind of like the edge that we bring. Plus, there's, you know, quadruple the games usually.
0: There's no, there's, it's, if anybody says they have, like, an edge in the NFL, just in terms of, like, picking games against the spread, they're full of it. You know, like, you just yeah. don't. Like, you just don't. Um now I'm not saying, like, I'm saying, like, no matter what, so, like, it's just impossible to beat Vegas. Of course. Of on course. a regular basis. But college, there, there's certainly some exploitable stuff. So what do you think will happen with, and we're you have to leave this caveat, we're recording this on Wednesday, August 19th, the afternoon. College football com- com- completely canceled by the time, like, this is published on Thursday morning, but w- how do you think teams are going to focus their evaluation? Will they lean more on analytics? Because I mean, you, you, I mean, like if if the Big Ten doesn't play, you have film of Justin Fields, but it's old film, and right. it, it's still him, but you know, you don't have as complete a picture. How do you think this pandemic will change what teams do for the draft?
1: Yeah, I think it is. I, I think they're going to focus more on the off-field stuff because you have like a smaller sample size, you know, and I like to listen. I know other people listen to like every post-draft press conference. And and I don't, I listen to some, I, I, it's interesting, but every single coach this year and GM was like, we got football guys. We got to have, you got to have people that love football because, (laughs) you know, we didn't get to see them and we didn't get to do this. So we got to get guys that love football. I think they're going to lean on this, like on like the touchy feely stuff Mm. over the, they might shy away from analytics and be like hey we we just need- honestly they might I now, I, if they were smart i think they'd lean on us even more but analytics are less powerful with smaller sample sizes so you have a guy like miami's six foot seven gregory gregory Rousseau, who should have had a breakout year this year like he should be out there having a breakout season last year by our numbers he was good not great he was like the prime candidate to kind of like justify first round status but he doesn't have that 600 700 800 snaps to like prove it but nfl teams are going to look at it and almost be like well he's got the tools he was already pretty productive they're going to pretend that he had the 2020 that that he they thought he might that's what i think but like if you just went by the numbers you'd say okay it doesn't look great but he probably would have had a breakout year into 2020 therefore we're going to go by his tools so i think it's going to be a combination of like tools guys with quote unquote high upside and then just like the interview process. And if there's a senior bowl, like focusing on that, like, focusing on a lot of the touchy feely and the interviews and football guys and, and all that kind of thing.
0: Okay. Uh, last one over under Tua Tungawa eight and a half starts.
1: Ooh, I'll say over. Okay. I think they want to figure out what he is. It's fascinating though. The AFC East might be wide open and Fitz has like, Fitz has played the best football of his career the last two years. It's crazy, man. He's he really like like has
0: the bearded football zombie. It's nuts. And right. You know what? I have, I have one more question for you. Cause yeah. I saw and follow at PFF on Twitter. If you don't already do that, I mean, seriously, what, yeah. I what Smart. doing? Uh, but Sam Monson has been doing these little, like, like it's, like, I think it's podcast clips that he's, uh, that then, you know, he's doing like a voiceover and, and say, you know, talking about it. Uh, but he's like, don't sleep on Dwayne Haskins. What does the, what are the, what are the, the grades say about Haskins relative to like Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray?
1: so we we discussed this on the pod the other day he's a little bit higher on haskins than me sure I would say he his final grade was actually comparable to Daniel Jones but it was like the construction of the grade was completely different now we talked about positives and negatives and all that stuff like Daniel Jones had a ton of positives and he also had some of those high-end games where Giants fans were going nuts right hey, he had four touchdowns and five Giants touchdowns. Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah he had those great games but he also had ten fumbles like he had right. twice as many like he had I actually don't know what his actual fumbles are because I go by like our numbers. He had 10 fumbles that we like really lowly downgraded, right? Really? And he, that was twice as many turnover worthy plays as Dwayne Haskins even had, you know, the entire season when he played. So Haskins actually took care of the ball pretty well, but he had a high percentage of negatives. So I, I don't have a ton of faith in Haskins going forward, but he kind of played this conservative brand of football where he, like his final grade ended up, you know, similar to like a Daniel Jones or a Kyler Murray, but it wasn't as, value add heavy if you if you will so I, I still need to see a lot more from haskins he reminds me of sam bradford a little bit like when everything's nice and pristine like he throws good footballs but i don't see him elevating everybody around him and, and i don't think he'll have that chance yet he's only got terry mclaurin to throw to
0: 18 fumbles for daniel jones Let 18, in so fumble.
1: 18 yeah. actual fumbles and by our numbers because you know how like you get a fumble for like dropping a snap or like yeah. a bad handoff 10 of them by our numbers were like, that's horrendous. That's like Jamal Adams took one out of his hand.
0: That was, I mean, he, that was a lunch, mo- like you got beat up in the middle of the cafeteria
1: type right. fumble, right? And the other thing we focus on a lot too is like the quarterback's role in pass protection and all that stuff. Like Jones held the ball way too long last year. Giants fans think their O line was a disaster. They weren't great, but they were like middle of the packish. You know, they weren't as bad as maybe it felt.
0: The Deshaun Watson factor.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. And Deshaun Watson absolutely makes it. Yeah. Russell Wilson. I, the, the, the Seahawks have a bad line, but also Wilson does make it look worse.
0: And, bit, so. and I would say too with Haskins, you know, we talk about what you put around a guy and you point out like he doesn't have a lot of wide receivers. Bill Callahan was, was like using a running clock. He, oh my like, he's God. like, I'm out of here to this year. Like let's, yeah. let's get this puppy moving. I mean, three, three hour, 45 minute games.
1: They ran like 35 plays against the Niners. It was like something I, ridiculous, right? In the rain. Like, how can bad.
0: you know what you, you just can't know what you have. that's why I think it, it's crazy when people talk about Alex Smith or even like Kyle Allen. like they gotta give Haskins 16k or you gotta find out what you have and you
1: you do you definitely in- have to find out yeah. my my concern with him like we had him as a first round uh, quarterback, but in the sense of like you take shots in the first round because they could be good. but I had my concerns coming out of, out of Ohio State because he was just you know elevated by incredible supporting cast. he was sure. good, not great. And last year he was okay, so like there's still a lot to see, I think, from Haskins. But okay. Sam's a little bit higher on him than I, I am, I think. All right, at
0: PFF Steve one uh, underscore, underscore we get the underscore
1: underscore in there at PFF underscore Steve.
0: That's fine. You can follow him on Twitter. Great follow, great podcast, great website. Obviously, go read ProFootballFocus.com. I there's a good story about you guys like like buying PFF.com too, right? From
1: yeah, I don't we know. I can't tell it, but I saw it. No, no, I mean, we, we bought PFF.com. It was like a big,
0: but is didn't it like cash and like, a, like cash and like back, like, because that's how these happen. Like if you get like a, a, so for instance, if the Redskins want to get like DC defenders or whatever, they end up, or yeah. the Washington football team, like right. Daniel Snyder's meeting somebody, like under a bridge and in, 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 like by the beltway with like a bag of, like a, you know, bag of like, <laughs> cash. Like that's how I don't happen. know what
1: the mechanics of that were, but I do know we paid for it and I do know we want to expand the brand a little bit. So being limited by pro football focus versus just PFF. Well, PFF know, decided, right. PFF is the thing. So you can't say pro football focus anymore. We're just PFF. We read, we renamed ourselves. It's PFF.com. It's all, it's all different.
0: Well, it's, it's, and it's cool looking. All right. Uh, PFF. Go there. Buy it. Uh, you can check out. Uh, every, there's a, a cornucopia of information on there from Player Graves, everything. Steve, always a pleasure, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Uh, talk to you soon, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.